Well, we're in Missions Focus Month, and uh, I was asked to speak on, you know, going and sending and missions and evangelism. Um, And so I want you to know that I have five lessons to teach you in 30 minutes. I have about 19 things to tell you in 30 minutes. So fasten your seatbelts. I'm going to probably go off script a lot, but there are things in my heart that I want to share with you that I really want the Holy Spirit to impart to you, that your life will be changed, that there would be an understanding of uh, what is missions, what is evangelism, what is my place in all of this. And the scripture really, really maps it out for us. So I pray that I'll be, the Lord would use me to do that for you this morning. But before we can even talk about, you know, uh, the, process, the process of missions, or evangelism, um, the Lord really put it on my heart that before we could even talk about that, we need to talk about, at the beginning of this whole thing, we need to talk about prayer. I cannot encourage you to share your faith without first encouraging you to intercession. You see, because our best efforts in our, in our flesh, in our wisdom, in our talents, in our gifts, without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit going forward and, and preparing the soil of men and women's hearts to receive the word of God, in our best efforts in our flesh, there'll be very limited fruit in, our, in, in all the work that we would do. And so this morning, I, I want to start off by reading Ezekiel chapter 22. Verse 30 and 31. It says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. We just heard about the military standing in the gap, the freedom and our freedom being taken away. The Lord is saying here, who will build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with fiery anger, bringing down on their heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. You see, the Bible is telling us that God is looking for people that, that would stand before God and before man and would cry out, Lord, have mercy on these people. God, send your grace. Lord, save them. Lord, heal them. Lord, unify them. Lord, reconcile them. God is looking for people that would learn how to pray and intercede on behalf of people, lost souls, nations, individuals, marriages. God is looking for people to do that. It says if we don't do that, then he will have to judge. He will have to pour out his anger. And people would say that, um, you know, God is God. He can do anything he wants, couldn't he? Of course he could. He is God. But in God's sovereign will, he has chosen, we see throughout the scripture, God has chosen to co-labor with us in the salvation of mankind. He's not going to do it on his own. The church is an extension of Jesus. We are to do the work of the ministry. And God is not going to save mankind on his own, not because he can't, but because he won't. And he's asking us to intercede and cry out before him for the people we love, for our nation, for those who are broken. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me and pray. Prayer, listen, I don't know how you approach prayer. But prayer is not like pleading with God to do something he doesn't want to do. That's not prayer. Prayer is imploring God to do what he said he would do. Does that make sense? Prayer is imploring God to do what he said he would do. 
in uh, 2 Peter 3, 9, in the, in the second chapter of Peter, chapter 3, 1 through 9, I'll paraphrase New York style for you. So what happens is, the, 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 Peter is telling these guys, he's trying to explain to these guys, listen, you know, God is, God is not returning yet, but he is going to return. But there's people who are mocking and scoffing me and the message of Christ and, and Peter goes on to say, listen, you know, a thousand years is as a day to God, and a day is as a thousand years. He says, you know, you should shut your mouth. The reason why God has not returned is because he's being patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. You see, so when we pray, when we understand the scripture, when we understand the heart of God, when we pray something like this, we are praying the very will of God. We need to learn to intercede we need to learn to pray the, the will of God. And so if we do that, God is going to move. God is going to answer prayer. John Wesley said, God will do nothing but an answer to prayer. And S.D. Gordon said, the greatest thing anyone can do for God or for man is to pray. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer is striking the winning blow. And evangelism is gathering up the results. That's why we start with prayer this morning. I prayed for my, my mother-in-law for 14 years before. Terrell and I prayed together 14 years for, for your mother before she got saved. 15 years for your father before he got saved. 17 years I prayed for my grandmother before she got saved. And let me tell you, they got saved all on their last breath. But they got saved. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, I stand up here every, every week when I'm home not traveling and I pray with people. And uh, hell is being unleashed, folks. And I don't mean that, you know, uh, just in a preachy sense to sound good. I'm telling you, hell is being unleashed. I stand up here and week after week, I have people, uh, um, fathers and mothers, they come up here and they are weeping and, and they say, could you please pray for my children? Because they grew up in a Christian household and, and now they say they're agnostic. Now they say they're, they're atheists. They don't believe in Christ anymore. You know, to eight years ago, 38% of the people in America said they believe, uh, 38% in America said they didn't believe in God. Today, eight years later, 50% 50 of the people say they believe in no God in America. Hell is being unleashed. Marriages are being broken. People you would never believe uh, would separate and, and, and leave one another are leaving. Hell is unleashed. We need to stand in the gap. We need to pray. We need to pray for mercy. We need to pray for grace. We need to pray for healing. We need to intercede. We also need to, to pray for uh, missionaries. You heard Trevor last, last week talk about missionaries. And uh, him and I always talked about praying that you know, support is important. Money is important, of course, because we can't do anything in life without money, right? I mean, that makes common sense. But believe me, as a missionary, I can tell you prayer is very important to pray for the missionaries. Most times when I travel, something very disastrous happens at home. Many times it involves my adult children. Two years ago, I get a phone call. Terrell gets a phone call. We're in Mexico. We're in Mexico with your young people. Uh, Terrell hands me the phone. I said, is everything okay? Who is it? It's Brittany. Everything is not okay. What happened? Last night, they were in back of their house with, with two other couples. They were around the fire. They were drinking a couple of beers, having some fellowship. You can have fellowship by having a couple of beers, just so you know that. And uh, what happened was this dude rolls up with a pistol and puts it right, to my, right in their backyard, rolls up, puts the pistol to my son-in-law's head, says, everybody get on the ground. I want your wallets. I want your phones. I'm going to count to 10 backwards to one. And if it's not out, if everybody doesn't have their stuff out, I'm killing him. 
So my, my brave son-in-law grabs my daughter and puts her under him and lays down and the guns are to the, to the head. And the guy's on four and they're trying to get everything out, the six kids. And uh, they said, Ryan says, listen, wait, wait, we're getting it. He says, I don't care, man. If it ain't out on one, I'm going to blow your head off. They got the stuff out. They got robbed. We came home. A week later, I go visit Brittany and Ryan. Terrell and I go visit them. And as soon as I see Brittany and Ryan, I begin to weep and cry. My kids could have been murdered. And then my daughter says to me, says, Daddy, if they would have shot Ryan, I'm telling you right now, I would have stood up and said, please kill me. That was my husband. You need to pray for missionaries. There is a war, folks. I don't know what your experience is in your Christian life. There is a war. Just last May, we're in Mexico again, and I get a phone call from my daughter, Brielle. Brielle, what's the matter? Daddy, I had an accident. Are you okay? Uh, I'm going to the hospital. What? What happened to the car? It's gone, Dad. The car's gone. What happened? I was traveling 70 miles an hour coming home from the beach. Now everybody listen to this next line. And I looked out at my phone to change the channel. To change the channel on my phone for music. My car went over to the right. It gripped the, 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 the sand. It swerved. I began to flip over, Dad. And when I was flipping over, I, I, I said to the Lord, I'm going to die today. I'm going to die or get crippled forever. For the rest of my life. And as I'm flipping, Dad, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God fills the car. I hold on to the steering wheel, and the car flips three times. Destroyed. There's 11 people out there. They call 911, and all of a sudden, they're figuring this kid or whoever's in the car is dead. All of a sudden, she steps on the console, steps on the window that was open, and comes out. Not a, this is not an exaggeration. You're going to ask this lady. Not a scratch, not, not a drop of blood. Went to the hospital. No internal bruises, no broken bones, no fractures, no whiplash. You need to pray. You, you, need, you need to choose missionaries and you need to pray for their protection. You need to pray. We need you to pray. I ask you to pray. If you go in the back of the booth today, if you do nothing else, I, I ask you that you would that you would at least pray for us. Standing in the gap is not only prayer. And here's, we, here's where we go now into evangelism. Standing in the gap is not only imploring God to keep his word and to save mankind, but standing in the gap is also taking the message of heaven and delivering it to the people on earth. Standing in the gap is taking the message of Christ that God has given us and delivering it to to sinful man. The question is, so who is responsible for evangelism? Who's responsible for missions? Who's responsible to share their faith? Is it the pastor? Is it the evangelist? Is it the teacher? Who? Who's, it, who's responsible for this? Well, we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, prophets, and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I want you to see that there's five spiritual offices there, right? The pastor and the teacher, the evangelist, prophet, an apostle. 
But those five offices aren't to do all the work. Your pastor is not to be doing all the work of the ministry. The evangelist, pastor, missionary is not to do all the work of sharing faith. If we see, if we take the scripture literally and we, and we should, it says, why are we in these positions of service? Why has God given us this full-time position of service? It's to prepare God's people for works of service. So our job as full-time ministry, uh, ministers is to look amongst the people and identify the giftings. There's the offices of ministry, and then there's the giftings of ministry. And in each one of you, there's some kind of gifting that we want to recognize, and then what do we want to do? We want to, we want to grow you up. We want to train you, and we want to release you into the ministry in this church and beyond. See, sitting amongst, amongst this congregation in front of me, we have people who probably don't even know that you have a gift of teaching. That you have, you have the gift of giving. That you have the gift of service. But each one of us has these gifts. And as leadership, we're not to do all the work. But as leadership, we are to, to find in the congregation, to identify and train your gifting. Why, the Bible says, so that you could do the works of the ministry. You can do the works of the ministry. And we're also to train you and, and develop you and, 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 and so that you would grow up into maturity, that you would stop acting like children, some of you, that you'd grow up in your faith. And then we would all come into the unity of the Holy Spirit, it says. And I want you to know in Psalm 133, it says, how good and pleasant it is when the people of God, when brothers dwell together in unity. It's, it's, it's as if the, the oil was poured on Aaron, the high priest, down his beard, on his robe, to the end of his robe. And the dew from Mount Zion would fall upon Mount Hermon. And there forever would be the blessing of life, forevermore. You see, in unity, folks, when we live in unity together as a body of Christ, the symbolism of the, of the oil is the person of Holy Spirit. And so if we live in unity and we do our ministry in unity and, and we serve in unity, then the Holy Spirit is anointing and filling and empowering us and is taking our efforts and, and is empowering our efforts to do the work of the ministry. Are you with me? So you are the ministers. We are the trainers. You have a ministry. It's good and pleasant. That's opposed as being, you know, unpleasant and in disunity. We need to be a unified body so the Holy Spirit could dwell in us. Our job is to train you, to grow you up in your faith, to do the works of the ministry. So are we all responsible? Are we all responsible to proclaim the gospel? Even if we, even if we don't have the gift of evangelism? I've heard this my whole life. I've been around the church 37 years. Oh, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I, I can't share my faith. I, I wasn't called to, to go on a, a short-term missions trip. You know, so who's responsible to proclaim the gospel? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 will clear this up for you forever. Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled, who, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And what did he do? And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was re reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, we together, we are Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we would be the righteousness of God. So let's break this down. We are a new creation. You know what that literally means out of the Greek? When you gave your heart to Christ and were born again, you became a species of being that never before existed. You're in the, you have the same clay pot. But when you surrendered to Christ, the Bible tells us we were born from above. We were born again of God's spirit. God's spirit came in. The blood of Jesus cleansed our sin. It cleansed our conscience. The spirit of God came in, begun to purge us of our sin. We look the same. And for a while, we act the same. But the fact is, is we're a new species of being that never before existed. We are spiritual people. We're no longer sinners. We're no longer separate from God. But we are the saints of God, the children of God, the redeemed of God, the ministers of God. This is who we are, filled with the Spirit of God, redeemed by the blood of God, and made the children of God. That's who you are. The first thing he says is because you've surrendered to Christ, you're a new species of being that never before existed. Then he goes on to say that uh, we were reconciled to God. What does reconciled mean? It means that we were once lost in that war with God. We were, we were en- enmity with God. We hated God. We lived in our flesh. We were our own God. But when we repented to Christ and we became this, this new creation, we then were brought back into fellowship and friendship with God. So we've been reconciled into friendship with God. We are friends of God. We are sons of God. We are the people of God. This is what Jesus did for us as we repented unto him. And then it goes on to say, and God gave us The ministry of reconciliation. See, what has happened to you, you need now to go and share with other people that they may be reconciled. We have that ministry. Not that guy. Not this guy. But every person sitting in this place today, if you you want to accept this or not, you are now, because you've been born again and reconciled, you have that ministry of reconciliation. And then he says, and you now have the... uh, The message of reconciliation. What is the message? What is the message? You need to simply be able to state the message to people. Listen, we're born in sin and far from God. And we live the way we want to. Even even destroying our lives. But Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. Lived 33 years. Sinless years. The Bible says was tempted and tried in every way just like us. But he sinned not. He did not sin. 33rd year of his life, he gave his life over to violent men that beat him for 12 hours. If you read the account, beat him with with no mercy, for no reason. An innocent man was beaten and his flesh ripped from his bones as they whipped him. The the Bible says in, in Psalm 22, my bones are all exposed. They're all out of joint. This was the, the, the voice of God. They beat him 12 hours and then they nail him to a tree. And let me tell you something. Get this picture in your head. Nobody dragged Jesus to the cross, okay? Nobody did that. 
It wasn't like he wrestled the struggle to get on the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, Father, if it be thy will, take this cup from me of suffering, please do it. But if not, then have thy will done. It was in that moment that Christ in his anguish decided, no matter what, I know if God, my Father, doesn't take the suffering from me, I need to go to the cross. And I want you to get a picture in your mind that when he's brought up to, to, to Golgotha and he's, and he's ripped to shreds, bleeding, and Isaiah 52 says he was beaten beyond recognition of any man, so he didn't even light, have a human form at that time. That when they threw the cross on the ground, I want you to get the picture in the head of the love of God that Jesus crawled on the cross. He crawled on the cross, that tree, and said, go ahead and nail me. And then they lift the cross up and all the wrath, all the anger, all the judgment of God for every wrong and simple thing that I've ever done, that you've ever done, that any man or woman has ever done, all the punishment, judgment, anger for that sin was pelted upon the body of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus is hung before heaven and earth, he is being pelted with your punishment. He's being pelted with my punishment. His blood is dripping out of his body on the tree. And that blood is the blood that drips out of the tree that cleanses your soul from all of its sin. It purges the power of sin from your life. It breaks the addiction of sin. It breaks the, 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 the greed. It, it breaks the selfishness, the pride, the arrogance. It breaks it, the blood of Christ. And then it says in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 that the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience. And it makes our conscience clean and pure. See, God did the whole work. He forgave, he washed, he broke power of sin, and then he takes away the guilt and shame out of our life. They buried him. Three days later, boom, he rises again, and he defeats hell, grave, death, the power of sin. And then he ascends to heaven where he lords over everything according to Ephesians 1. Everything seen and unseen is subject to Jesus Christ and the authority of Jesus Christ. That's your message. That's your message. Do you think people need to hear the message? Absolutely. This world's going to hell in a handbasket. And the people need to hear this message. And you've been reconciled. And you've been born again. And you're a new creation. And you've been given a ministry. And you've been given a message. Not that guy. Not this guy. You. And then it goes on to say, we become ambassadors. What, what, what is an ambassador? Simply stated, an ambassador is someone who is sent from one country endowed with all the authority of that country. And it's sent to another country to represent that country in another country. With all the authority to make decisions and, and to represent that country. Is that clear? Very simple, right? Never went to college, but that was pretty good explanation, right? So, think about what it means in a spiritual sense. It means that as the people of God... We've been endowed with the authority of Christ. And we've been sent. We are citizens of heaven, the Bible says. We've been sent to heaven with the authority of Christ to represent Jesus Christ to the people of this earth. And we carry in us the authority of Christ. And we carry in us the spirit of Christ. And we carry in us the message of Christ. You are ambassadors to do the work of the kingdom of God on the earth. Praise the Lord. Now, when do we share the gospel? When? I just told you who, but when? Well, simply stated, we share the gospel every breath of our life. 
You share the gospel at home. You share the gospel at work. You share the gospel where you recreate. You share your gospel at school. You share your gospel in the marketplace. We are to, we, listen, we're called evangelical Christians. You know what that means? It means that we should be living evangelistically. You know, we are evangelicals. We should live evangelistically. So every, you know, I don't know, I pray the Holy Spirit gives you this sense. Your life is not your own. You're not here just to make money and, and to have pleasures of life. God is not opposed to that. I have a very good life. But that is not ultimately the purpose why we're here. The purpose why we're here now as the born again redeemed people of God is to now be bringing the gospel to every realm of life in every sphere of society. I was in the gym uh, a while ago. I was in the gym and uh, I was in the, the whirlpool. I, I kept saying to myself this morning, don't say hot tub. That, that's a whole different story. But I was in, I was in, I, the, you're not going to hear that story. But I was, I was in the whirlpool in, in, the, in the gym and uh, there were a bunch of guys and we were having conversation and I don't really remember how it happened, but I just told all of these guys, it was a big whirlpool in this old Jack Lane gym and uh, I told all these guys, my testimony about Jesus. Now I take my shower and I have a towel wrapped around me and uh, this guy approaches me in a towel wrapped around him and he says, uh, I want you to know that your story, there was something about what you said, your story, it just impacted, I don't know, something went on, it impacted me. So I took a few minutes and I shared more with the fella and I encouraged him, go to church, give your heart to Christ. It was the holiday season. I didn't go to the gym for a couple of weeks. I came back a couple of weeks later. I come out of the shower. This time I don't have a towel on me. Sorry with the picture in your head. I didn't have a towel on me, but neither did the guy who came and approached me. So now, where, you know, how do you dress when you share the gospel? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> I wasn't dressed. <laughs> so, so this dude rolls up on me, comes over to me, and I'm standing there in my locker. And he's like, bro, over the holidays, I went to, I went to church. I gave my life to Jesus. And so right there, we sat down on the bench, and I prayed for this man and encouraged this man. So where? Anywhere. When? Anytime. How are you dressed? That's up to the situation. I have no, no idea. My daughters used to be models. My, my daughters used to be models when they were younger. And uh, I got so much flack for that, by the way. As a minister, you know, how could you let your daughters be models? The, the model industry is, is just, uh, it's, it's so, um, uh, you know, there's so many homosexuals and gays and it's promiscuous. And how could you do that? You're a minister. Why would you let your kids do that? And, and I was like, well, first of all, I really believe this is part of the kids. This is what God has for these kids. Number two, uh, the Bible tells me you don't light a lamp and, and put a lamp under bed to hide the light. When you light a lamp, you put the lamp on the lampstand lamp so that it lights up the whole house. Jesus said that we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So I think going into the modeling industry with my daughters is probably a very good idea because if we don't go into these spheres of society, uh, you know, where there's this deep sin, you know, if Christians don't go into those places, if, if, when they're called to those places, then who's going to bring the light of the gospel into these places? Common sense, Right? So I took a lot of flack, Terrell and I, for three years, and I said, shut up, whatever. Uh, we're going to be the light of the world, and we're going to share the gospel. Well, it was true. There was a lot of promiscuity, but my daughters didn't have to do certain things because we were there, and we wouldn't allow them to. But secondly, uh, I would say nine out of ten hairstylists were homosexual lesbian. 
So what we did when there was lunchtime, what we did was we ran away from them and we went into a room and we had our lunch so we wouldn't have to be bothered with them and wouldn't get infected by their sin. No, we didn't do that. I'm only kidding. We didn't, we didn't do that at all. What we did was we sat with them for lunch and we had lunch and we built relationships. And after a couple of years, because we used to travel with the same company, uh, after a couple of years, I'd, we, we, we'd come into the place and I would see the hairstylist and I would run over to the guys and I would kiss them on the cheek, and and we would hang out, and we'd have lunch, and one day while we were leaving, the head stylist, Amy, comes up to Terrell and I and says, you know, when you guys leave, we get together, and we, we love to talk about your family. We wish we had a family like yours. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you ever lived in my house, you'd run, you'd run out of it screaming, because I'm a, I'm a very fiery Italian guy. When I yell, my veins pop out of my neck. I bang tables, whatever. My kids are crazy, but the thing that they saw was the, the, the love of Christ, the very spirit of God, the very life of Christ in us, not perfection. And so uh, we had an impact in, the, in, in these people's lives. So years later, you know, the girls stopped modeling. We moved to Atlanta and we're at Whole Foods in, in Ponce. And all of a sudden we look up and there's, there's this guy, Daniel, there. This, one of the guys who was the hairstylist, the assistant head hairstylist, very gay man. And we're like, there's Daniel. We run over to Daniel and he sees us. We see him. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, hug, kiss, kiss, whatever. So I started, he moved here as well. So I went to the city every three weeks and I got my hair cut by Daniel. And I want to tell you something that uh, probably 90% of the time when I was in Daniel's chair, Daniel would strike up a conversation with me about Jesus. This went on for, for months and all of a sudden one day Daniel says, how can I support your ministry? So we have a gay guy who wants to support our ministry. How did that happen? Happened because we shared our story. We were unashamed of the gospel. Unashamed of pushback. Courageous. That's what you need to do. You know, you've been hearing in this place, your story matters. For like months. Your story does matter. Wherever you are, you should be sharing your story. And you should be sharing the story about Jesus. And a story about Jesus in your life. Share your story because it really does matter. And then finally, finally, you know, uh, I want to, of course, I want to read to you the, uh, you know, the, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I want to read this for you and make a couple of comments as I close to encourage you. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus doesn't just send a missionary, Jesus says, Go. You know what go means? Go in the context of the scripture means be a person of action. Change your location. Now, that does not necessarily mean that you got to go to Ghana. But if you're a Christian man or woman, you've been reconciled and given the message in a ministry and you're an ambassador of Christ, it means you need to change your location and you all need to be people of action. Go to the next cubicle. Go to your neighbor. Go to Mexico. Go to the gym. Go and feed people with a Thanksgiving dinner. Go to a trunk or treat. 
go to, to the ministries of the church. The, the thing is, is that go. You need to be people of action. You need to be people that live outside of yourself. You need to be people that have the compassion of Christ for others. And uh, live outside of your own little world and your own little problems. And even if they're big, hurtful problems, you need to live outside of that. You see, these scriptures I'm sharing with you this morning are inclusive for the body of Christ. Now, you can either reject what is being said this morning or you can receive what is being said. But there's nobody, no born-again man or woman of God outside of the realm of sharing the gospel. Go, be people of action. Change your location. And, 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 and my, my final encouragement and story is this. I personally believe, as a missionary who has traveled and taken people on short-term missions for, I don't know how many, many, 21 years, that I would encourage every born-again believer to take a short-term mission to save up between $800 and $2,000, come to Mexico, or go somewhere else. But go and leave your home. Go and leave the comforts of your home. I'm telling this from my heart. Until you do that, and you go visit another country, not to go on vacation, but you go to another country to, 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 to live with the people and to share the gospel with the people, there is so much that's closed up in your heart that can never be released until you leave your home and your comforts and go to another land. When you go there, many things will happen. Number one, most of the times your heart will be broken because you cannot believe that people live the way they live. You'll be, you, you may see it on TV, you may hear about it, but until you put your feet on the ground and, and you, you see how people live, your heart really can't be affected by it. And when we go on short-term missions trips, what happens is many things happen. God unlocks in us, you know, sometimes passions we never knew we had. Sometimes it unlocks in us... Um, Giftings we never knew we had. Sometimes when we go on short-term missions trips, we never cared about missionaries. We heard about them. We didn't care about them. You know, it was nice. We gave a few bucks to them. But you go on a short-term missions trip and all of a sudden, God opens up your heart and you're like, I just want to pray for these people. You go home and you're crying and you're burdened because these people, you love them. Or you come home and you, and you, you start writing checks because you want to empower the people that are ministering to the needs and the brokenness of these people. Or some of you, like a Hannah Pickens, say, I got to go. I can't stay in America. I'm emptying out my room of everything I have, and I got to go, and, and I have to go preach. A, a Trevor and a Brittany, they have family here. They're close to everybody here in Indiana, but they said, I'm called to Spain. I'm going. I'm going to leave it all. I'm going to push the plow, leave it all behind. I'm going, right? You don't know what God is going to do. You need to get out of your little world and step into someone else's world that the Holy Spirit may begin to open up your heart to, to the brokenness of the world around you, to the giftings that you yet not know you have, to the passions you'll never experience. I went to Mexico City in um, the early 90s, the first foreign missions trip I ever took, and my secretary and her husband came with me. It was a youth trip, but I took them, and we literally went to the garbage dumps of Mexico City. People live in the garbage dumps of Mexico City. They live there. The happiest day for these people is Tuesday and Thursday when the garbage trucks bring the garbage. And when the garbage trucks came in and we were there, kids and parents ran to the garbage trucks and were picking out whatever food, the best food they could find out of the garbage so that they could eat it. That was their source of, of, of supply. They lived in shacks. They had no running water. We came home from that trip. I tried to give a presentation. I wept, right, Terrell? I wept. I couldn't, I just, I wept for 20 minutes. 
But you know what happened? We went on to missions. The church sent us into the mission field. But the secretary and her husband were so touched by what they saw. The Holy Spirit spoke to them that they began to organize trips and go twice a year with the people of the church. And then they started to give their finance to the, to the mission there. And then eventually, after years, they were board members on this mission. I'm telling you right now, you need to go. You need to go to the bluff. Go somewhere. But I'm telling you today, I prayed for you all week. I prayed with my wife. Pastor and I prayed this morning. I pray you cannot leave this place today without the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. Tugging on your heart to do something. To be people of action. Listen, I think we got a reprieve. You know, I don't know what your political stance is. Not important to me. But from my point of view, I think the church has got a four-year reprieve of freedom. Okay? And in this four years, let me tell you something. We should be about the business of God. Uh, this is not to take, be taken lighthearted. This is not just the right thing to say. In my heart, I know and believe this is true. Four years. What will you do in the next four years differently to share your story, to support the missionary, to, to, to serve the ministries of the church? What will you do?